0: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. You want to follow me there on Twitter and it's Monday. So you know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool from Pay Dirt Analytics, the co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Feel free to type in whatever the hell you want. You know what we do on Mondays. Me and James, we wax poetic on on strategic concepts, things going on in the DFS space, MLB, whatever, what, whatever happens to come up. So we'll type that in. Give me those thummy thumbs in in the chat. Thummy thumbs. Subscribe, scribes, and notification belly bells to let you know when we go live. Uh, I, I don't got I, apple juice. I got I got yellow. I got yellow Gatorade. So keep the yellow Gatorade cold. I see you guys. Daniel Hutchins, match coach, Bradley Saucier, Eric Hedbold, Cog Lawrence, March Mimic, Card Fan, Michael Dampier, Suki Singh, who was not first today. Typically, Suki Singh is, is here like a half an hour early. Whatever. He got up late, I guess. Jeff Chambers, Jr. Saseda, 12, Nate Bradshaw, A1 Beast Mode, Quinn Williams, Max Coach, whatever. Oh, boy. Uh... And A1B Simone has already uh, started with the the questions that have no answers. How did I land on my cash team, which I didn't play yesterday? I didn't play cash yesterday, but you know how I land on it? I play the top optimal median lineup. So there you go. So I look at my projections, which happens to be the back projections. Then you do a knapsack problem, which is what an optimizer does. Whatever the highest number is, that's what you play. And there you go, you're done you're done if you if you what's the purpose of projections if you're not going to use them right james
1: yeah um but i mean you forgot to mention the the secret group chat
0: oh the secret chat oh the secret chat right that that all all the sharp players go and so all their lineups look pretty pretty similar other than like 2v2s right yeah yeah We we have to throw off the scent
1: oh it's it's important you know it's it's really important like what you do is you go into the secret chat right and then you see the lineup that is just posted there with like blinking signs that are all like posted saying, this is the cash lineup. And then uh, everybody says, okay, what pivot are you going to make? What pivot are you going to make? I don't want to make the same pivot you make. So just make sure, you know, discuss amongst yourselves. And then that's, that's how you get the lineups. That's where the lines come from, you know?
0: Right. I'll, I'll show, I'll show you. I have it on screen right now. Here's a one piece mode. I want to show you how I make my cash lineup. Okay. We got the, a.m. bad X projections, which obviously we don't know the starting lineups completely or anything. Maybe there's a picture change. So I I look here at all the projections now understand why I'm doing this. Okay. So it's not just like, like, okay, I have to, have to, to change two things just so I can get something. Okay. So this is DraftKings. So as of right now, the top median optimal lineup that's optimizing just for median fantasy points is this. Caleb Smith, Ryan Yarborough at pitcher. And then you play uh, seems like Alfaro, Alfonso, Brad Lowe, JD Davis, Tatis, Calhoun, Castellanos, and Winker, based on the based on the back projections. Okay. Now understand what this lineup represents. Okay. We don't talk a lot that much about cash games here, uh, but the the difference between quote cash games, which are pretty much like double-ups, 50-50s. Cash games represents you only have to beat half the field. Even if you're playing a head-to-head, right? You have to beat beat your your opponent, which is half the field. So your goal is not some 80th percentile outcome. Your goal is to maximize for the 50th, Mm -hmm. right? Which is what the median is, right? The mean and the median are around the 50th percentile. Uh, I mean, the median is definitely the 50th percentile. The mean could be off by slightly or whatever. Uh, So all of these projections... We, we, we discussed what exactly projections are. They're are a range of outcomes. They're a distribution curve. So in the bat, the floor is the 25th percentile, and the ceiling is the 75th percentile, which means 20 at least 75% of the time, Pete Alonzo will score uh, 2.07 points, and 25% of the time, he'll score at least 25.29 points it's the 75th percentile outcome so it looks like looks like a distribution curve a normal distribution curve uh and the middle is that number is the number that the, the optimizer is that all cares about is the middle number now this does not take into account the standard deviation of the player these all this all assumes a normal distribution but baseball players don't have normal distributions well, we, we take the, 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 strikeout, the Joey Gallo types, right. They really get, they really get like seven to nine points. Really. That's like they're, they're striking out or hitting home runs. So while their median could be 10, like they're not going to get 10. It's going to be a lot of threes, fives, zeros, and a lot of 14s, 18s, 21s. So it's a higher variance player, but. But the median, that uh, it doesn't take into account that standard deviation. So Joey Gallo with a 10-point projection and Starling Marte, maybe. I don't know. I'm just pulling someone out with a 10-point projection. Well, Marte's probably a little bit more likely to get singles and doubles and runs. And stolen bases. Stolen bases. You're right. Exactly. For for Starling Marte. Uh, so... His distribution curve may be much more normal than someone like Joey Gallo, but the median does not take into account that. But if we were to play this slate out a million times, if the bad projections were the most accurate projections, this is the lineup that would beat out 50% of the field most often. Now that there are lineups, like if we ran this, I ran this with just one, I just ran it. Just give me give me five lineups. Give me five lineups. That doesn't matter. I got everything. Okay, good. So I'm gonna build five lineups. Okay. So we see that top one up here, 120.62. Here's one underneath it that's 0.15 lower. Okay. And it has Suarez over Davis and Naquin over Calhoun. It looks like. I think it's a 2v2. Two two. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Over a million slates, if the bat projections are the most accurate, that top one, the one with uh, the one with Calhoun and Davis or whatever, will will beat out half the field slightly more, slightly, ever so slightly, over a over like a million trials. Okay. Over the course of like one, these two lineups are virtually identical, right? Like mathematically, yes, the top one is, but like by such a small margin that in order to realize that, that, that EV, like it would take, it would take you hundreds, thousands of, you know, hundreds, tens of thousands of trials. So if you wanted to play the second one instead, go for it. Right? Here's the third one, 120.42, right? This one has Marcus Simeon in it right? Semien and Ste- and then let's see, Semian and Suarez. So it's a 2v2 also. It's virtually, but based on, you know, how percentage of it off, it's, it's practically the same lineup, right? Here's 120.37. This is Jeff McNeil in the lineup and JD Davis. So you have three Mets here, right? Here's one with uh, James McCann, right? The Mets, the Reds, you know, they project well today. Uh, and Caleb Smith and Ryan Yarborough, but I mean, this could change. I mean, the projections could change, but this does not take into account the standard deviation of the players, right? So, I mean, someone like uh, like Eugenio Suarez, there's a good example, right? James Suarez, uh, it seems like anytime I roster him, he either hits a home run or grounds at the three double plays. That's
1: that's it. That's, that's yeah, that's, the that's, entire that, thing. to
0: me, that to me, that's that's Eugenio Suarez. He has a very low batting average, he has power. Uh, but he uh, does not have a normal distribution. So three if outcome you, player. What? He's a
1: three outcome player.
0: Right. That's it. So in cash games, maybe you don't side because you want to lower your variance for a cash lineup. you want to increase it for a GPP, because you only have to beat half the field or 55% of the field or whatever it is. So do you want someone that could get you a zero or a 14? Well, there's two lines of thought. There's, well, I'd rather someone that has a more normal distribution, a lower standard deviation, so I could reduce my variance. There's also another mindset that you, if Eugenio Suarez hits a home run, he could bail out a player in my lineup that, that doesn't do well, right? That gets a zero. Pete Alonzo goes 0 for 4 at 5,900. I'm sitting there going, I need to make up those points. Well, if I'm playing slap hitters in most of my lineups because they have more normal distributions, like maybe maybe I don't get there. What is my risk tolerance? Now, obviously, mathematically, if we played this out a million times, this top lineup will be slightly, ever so slightly more profitable than this lineup, than that lineup, than this lineup. Your job is just to be more profitable than the other lineups in the contest. So it's quite possible that all, depending if you're playing $1 double ups, you know, with 62 people in it, it's quite possible that even like we, we can make 20 lineups and the 20th lineup may still be 50% bet, you know, better than 50% of the field as it is. So it's not like you're forced to play. Oh, by projection say I have to play the top one. Now for ease to take bias out of the equation, I choose to just not think and think about GPPs and other things that I'm just gonna rely on, on whatever the math says. If it's just slightly more, I'm just gonna play that. Because then you get into the habit of, well, which one should I pick? Should I pick this one? Should I pick that one? And to me, between the differences in the lineups are so small, whenever the decision in game theory, whenever the decision is that small, you should be spending the proportional amount of time on that decision. So to me, I choose to just whatever, whatever it is. If I'm playing cash games, Vandal, DraftKings, Yahoo, whatever. And I trust the bat projections the most. I'm going to play the top. I'm just going to play the top optimal median line. However, however it's laid out, just give me the most amount of median fantasy points. Some people take the bat projections and aggregate it with other projections. Sometimes people make their own projections, right? You can take the plate IQ projections on roto grinders and then aggregate it 50-50 with the bat projections to get kind of like an average of the two and then play that line. Or you could just go through and choose, oh, I want to play this lineup instead of that lineup. Or I don't want to play Eugenio Suarez at all in my lineup and just play a lineup with that. I don't want to play Caleb Smith and Cash. Well, then X him out. Like, you could, you could just easily do that. It's like, I don't trust Caleb Smith and Cash. Okay, so I'm going to X him out. I'm going to X out Suarez. And then I'm going to run it right on the side. And go, okay, Darvish, Yarbrough, Ploiecki, Alonzo, Lowe, Davis, Tatis, Calhoun, Naquin, Winker. Okay, that doesn't look that bad. 118.67. You're actually, you're giving up like two points in projection though with uh, Caleb Smith. But Caleb Smith probably has a high standard deviation. Uh, but if, if you feel more comfortable playing this lineup, this lineup may still be better than half the lineups in, in your double up anyway.
1: And that one is higher, high, higher aggregate ownership, which is something that I preach a lot. I like to have like literally the chalkiest lineup you can possibly have in cash. Because then what you're doing is even if you're giving up two points in projection, even ignoring the projection of it, if you have all of the highest owned players, if you have, you know, an aggregate ownership of like 45% or more in your cash game, in your lineup, that's forcing other people to beat what is considered the most consensus top place. So they have to deviate in order to pass the 50th percentile line. So you just block people by having higher, uh, super high percentages of your ownership. So that's something else to mention here is when you are building for cash games, like you said, your, your job is, is just to beat the other 50% of the people in the lineup. So if you can build a lineup that is going to just naturally end within a 50th percentile on one side or the other, then you're going to be going towards doing that without even needing projections. You can just do it just by being in that 50th percentile based on percentage points on ownership.
0: Right, because so if we can look here, let's say we just we didn't we just we just locked we just locked in based on our current ownership, which obviously at 11 for 14 in the morning doesn't mean all that much. We don't have we don't have starting lineups. Okay, so Brandon uh, Darvish and Yarbrough are the two highest owned pitchers, mm-hmm. and we have Brandon Lau, Jesse Winker, Cole Calhoun. Right, they seem to be the highest owned, and then we start getting into uh, uh, Naquin projects. Well, so maybe Naquin. So you lock those guys in. Right, say okay. I want the all these highest owned guys, and then then you run it, right? So now we get Alfaro, Alfonso, Alonzo, Tatis, Suarez here. Mm-hmm. But let's say you didn't want. Let's say looks like Vlad maybe owned against Pavetta. He doesn't project as well point per dollar compared to the to the Mets. But let's say oh, I want to block with uh, with Guerrero. You do that, and then you run it. It's pretty much the same. Right. Alonzo actually projects higher than Vlad for a cheaper price, but Vlad's going to be five times as much owned. Right. You just play Vlad instead. So this lineup is 117.77, but it's 221% ownership sum. So like from a relative value standpoint, you're actually lowering like, but that's the whole point of what you're playing in cash games. Right. Like in GPPs, you want to increase your relative value. You want to increase your variance. So in cash games, if you want to optimize just and an based on ownership, you're just now reducing your relative value, which means the differences between lineups in your contests are going to be low, or smaller, which means the the mistakes that you make in your lineup are not going to be as costly. It's right. more of a risk. You're, you're, you're coming in from the other perspective. You, even though the bat projections say, that Alonzo projects for one point higher than Vlad, how much do you want to bet on that, on that? Especially the the, the difference of one point, right? In the scope of one slate. If we were playing this out a million times, sure. I'm I'm gonna lean on the projections, like the regards. I'm just gonna assume mine are the most accurate. But for this, it's like, are you really giving up one point? Well, you're giving up one point based on the back projections, but if Alonzo goes over four and Vlad hits two home runs today, it doesn't matter. The the rest of your lineup, you you don't have any relative value. You're dead. Right. Right. So maybe it's better off to just block there. Right. But these are the things you think about when you play cash games. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, me for cash games, I don't play them anymore. I just, whatever the top projected lineup is, that's what I play. I don't want to have to think about it. I could be profitable, maybe not as highly profitable. And it may be dips and ups and downs, but I'd rather do that if I, tr- if I trust the projections. The first thing it always comes down to, do you trust your model? Because if you don't trust your model, then none of this matters, right? Then, then what's the point, right? You might as well just pick names out of a hat. But if you trust your model, and you have to, if you trust your model, you have to trust it for everything. You can't just say, it's like, oh yeah, well, Jesse Winker, that guy's a must play today. Look at, look at his whatever, and then you go, I can't play Pete Alonso over Vlad Guerrero. It's like, well, if you trust Jesse Winker, as a quote play, then you have to trust Pete Alonso as a play, right? Like it's the same, it's the same model, right? Is there, are there any instances, James, where uh, you run projections for, for a day slate and you're like, well, I get this projection, but this one, right? Like a lot of times that happens with like pitchers, like some pitcher projects much better than you would have ever expected. And you're like, I don't know if I could trust that, but then does, isn't that the cognitive dissonance with like, if the model's good for everything else, it has it can't just be bad on that one guy.
1: So there are instances when it comes to short samples. So, like we've talked about a couple of times on this show, my model works a lot on short samples. I don't like to adjust baselines too much. I just like to let my model do what it's do its thing. It catches on to trends very quickly. It catches on to those short samples pretty quickly. So I just like to let it trust on those kinds of things. But like if a guy only has four innings pitched right and speaking specifically to pitchers because you're right that's usually where you see a projection you're just like i don't, I don't know about that man i don't know i don't know if caleb smith should project for six fancy points today he's going to be 40 percent owned so six fancy points there's got to be something weird but if in those four innings pitched you know he ended up having two earned runs and one strikeout and like four innings pitch or something like that you, I do have to kind of look at that from my model specifically over at Paydirt. I have to look at that and I have to give a little disclaimer and say, hey, this, this sample that we're working with here is really, really small. And he had a really, really bad outing. So like I looked a little deeper and this is what I found. Things like I that. Mean, but
0: isn't the mathematical equivalent is just that obviously with such a small sample size is standard deviation would just be ridiculously high.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but uh, from a, I uh, mean,
0: with a large sample, like we have Zach Grenke on today's slate. Uh, like we have enough of a like. There's there's no sh- small sample or long sample that's going to change who Zach Grenke is. So most likely his projection is going to be have a the lowest standard deviation. I think like if you take a look, like Casey Mize, for instance, less of a sample. I mean, you're using if you're using shorter samples than Cardi does. Yeah, but. The less data that you have, the, the the higher the variance of what it could be. You you're going to project it as well as you can, mm-hmm. but there is when it's most likely to be variant. But it doesn't mean that the variables in your model are wrong. Like no, no, like, no, no. You can't it, you can't just say that I I'm going to ignore this guy's strikeout rate, this specific guy, but but not that the variable for all the other pitchers. I'm going to leave the same. Like you can't you
1: can't do that. Right, no. And that's why I never touched the baselines in my model, unless like two slates ago, I think it was like the first slate back. Madison Bumgarner, I had a sample of literally one innings pitch for Madison Bumgarner. He gave up like an earned run, it was a home run, and then he was pulled. So he was projecting for negative 18 fantasy points because that was the only sample that I had of him. And like the model was like, okay, well, I guess he gives up the home run every single inning. So that was pretty funny. And those situations, like I'll go in and I'll touch the baseline and just be like, okay, let's let's actually make this something that's usable. But even when, like with that four innings pitch example with Caleb Smith, like even if I have a short sample like that and he only projects for seven fancy points or something like that, I still trust that the model is doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing. Like the model doesn't make mistakes. The model doesn't take data and say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to. It, I would usually do this, but I'm going to do it this. St- to like to me, it program. sounds it sounds like a data problem. It's not a model problem. It's a data problem. Right. It's so the the cardinal rule in in modeling and in forecasting is if you the model is going to spit out however good of data it has, good data in, good results. Bad data in, bad results. Like that's the way that it goes. So if you have bad data or if you have a super short sample size or if you have something that does take a little bit more nuance and a little bit more understanding the situation, you do have to be reticent of that. And I would say that even for models like Cardi's where, it, you know, if he has a rookie coming up or something like that, the, uh, the infamous Fernando Tatis thing where Cardi was talking about how he just projects his man, Manuel Margot, I think was, was the person that he was comping to. You know, you have situations like that and it's not that the model is wrong. The model wasn't wrong on that situation. The model just didn't have enough to work with. The data wasn't there to give him the ample, uh, like the, the correct set to give him the right outcome for what Fernando Tatis could be. But when you have situations like that, you have these outlier situations, you have to be able to trust that the model is doing what it's doing and doing it correctly and say, okay, I understand why it is doing that. I'm going to look at that and say, okay, this this is what the model says. You do have to make some decisions up and down on if you trust on a short sample or on a bad data sample or something like that. Or if there's a lot of luck involved. Um, I talk a lot about BABIP. Uh, like if a pitcher is is doing super duper well he has like a 2.1 xvip or something like that and he has a low whip and he looks really really good but he's only got like a 120 babip over the last two months like that takes some context there's a little bit of context there because you put that in the model though but those types of things are already in there right they're already in there but with how we know about how distributions go because like you said these are not normal distributions these are non-binomial distributions. This is dealing with a lot of randomness. So in situations like that, there are some blind spots in models where even if you are using X stats or something like that from uh, from baseball reference, or, or like even if you're using the best um, descriptive stats that you can have for baseball, you do still have to deal with the randomness that comes with it. And we know that randomness comes in chunks. So there are some nuances that come to modeling. I'm not saying that the model is wrong. I'm saying that the model is only working with the data that it has. And it's really, really hard to model with luck. So to to answer the question from earlier, there are instances where you have to look at what the model is saying and you have to say, okay, I understand why it is doing that. I understand the data that it has. I understand the sample that it has, but it does take some nuance. And you do have to have an understanding of why the model is saying that and what the model would be saying if it had maybe this piece of information or this piece of information or, or whatever.
0: Right, because ultimately you're you're, you're testing these variables on all the players mm-hmm. like the whole thing is like if, if for, for people that don't know about about projections and modeling is that you're going to take each individual variable that goes into the model and then compare it to actual like you're basically you're going to go from projected weight to actual and then go as far back as you can data wise and then you you have an r you have an r squared right to see what, how close the projection is to actual for right. all the players. So now let's say you have uh, the 1,500 players, right? Batters, whatever. And you and you weigh some, whatever variable, whatever it could be, you know, the, the, the launch angle, who knows? N- name anything. Uh, and you go back and you go, well, based on this weight and based on testing this back for three years, five years, whatever, whatever amount of data you have that, you know, this weight is the, this is the most accurate. It's the highest R to it for all the 1,500 players. But you may have 50 of those 1,500 that have dots that are like completely like away from that line that it's like, okay, well, because you're never going to get all of them on the, I mean, you're never going to, nothing is that predictive. You're not going to, you're not going to get like, you're not going to get point nines or anything uh, in, in, in anything right and any right so you're always going to have some type of s- s- scatter but even with the 50 outliers that are kind of away from the line it's still an aggregate closer than if you changed it and now you get some a lot of the dots that are a little bit farther away and you still get you get 71 you get 70 that are away from the line like like you're always going to get those outliers and, and especially in a sport like baseball maybe not a, not as much in basketball uh, but still, the, that that R squared, that's the closest. That's what you're going to use. So you're going to do that for each variable, and you're going to get some of these. Even with five years worth of data, some some of these like, well, for for this particular person, it seems like in the past five years, you can't predict anything based on this variable. But it's going to be it's, <laughs> but. For every variable like that, there's going to be another variable where he's, where it's close. So for each individual player, like you're not going to be, you're not going to go through and say, well, for today's slate, I'm not going to weigh this for this guy and that for that guy and this for this, because then, then, then the the model becomes useless at that point. Then you're overfitting. Right. You're right. Exactly. You're overfitting. So I just want to explain why the things happen the way they do. These numbers just, just don't appear out of thin air like it's not like well today i'm gonna weigh ballpark factor at this like like no it's 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 been tested it's it's been and it's and as new data comes in you continually go back and add it to your to your sample and then you regress it like because you're you're not james you work with small you like working with smaller samples because you like possibly realizing an edge before other people before other models do right and a lot of times you're giving up accuracy and you're giving up potential that you could be wrong right you could and it could you're, you're it's oversampling and then it's just like okay but you'd rather have the fruits of having the 2% don't stack that one time rather than than being completely accurate but you're still re- you but James you're still regressing the data to something like you're not like you're we're not counting uh stats from five years ago the same way that we're counting stats from a week ago
1: no no because you can't because a lot of the stats you know we, we talked about a couple weeks ago we talked about soccer and how we talked about how uh the difference between what was it club and and what was it club and what
0: international games yeah yeah
1: club and international so like we were taking we were having that discussion about how you can't just take the stats from the club team and apply it to the guys on the international because like there are no like nothing else is the same in these situations right like in this club team they play a specific way and they use a guy a specific way and they do certain things when this player is on the team and then that player goes and plays on the international and completely different not same team not same situation not same game plan not used in imagine uh, using
0: nba the nba model to do the all-star game
1: Right. You, right. Or like trying to use, you know, any severely team-based sport. I mean, like in the NFL, if you try to project the all-star game using- The Pro Bowl, players, right. You do the Pro Bowl, right. It's, well, dude, Derek Henry's going to have a 32% rushing. Like, you can't do that. You can't do it. You can't do it. And it's the same thing with baseball. You know, it, one, one of the things, and I, I like the Siege. I think that he's a funny guy. Um, But he, he was on this thing where he was like, the Blue Jays can't hit sliders and it was like he was using that data i think last year it might have been last year or two years ago or something like that and he was he was quoting that for like years straight i even mean like different
0: players on the team. it's
1: not there's not even one player that is the same player on the blue jays anymore and like you can't use that data anymore
0: um, right, once you put on the blue jays jersey
1: you can no longer hit a slider right it doesn't I mean, matter right it doesn't it matter Yep. Vlad, Vlad Guerrero cannot hit a slider. Bobuchet can't hit sliders, right? Uh, but if, if they if they went to the Red Sox, they'd be crushing sliders, right? Exactly. What is the team that hits sliders the best? Just send that guy to that team, wow. and that now you solved his slider problem. <laughs> but that's the problem with using those really really older samples is, especially in baseball now with the current climate and with the way that statistics are working in baseball, it's almost a crapshoot. Uh, like every single smart person that I know that was building out projections and trying to handle things, uh, like the two weeks after the sticky substance breakdown, it was just hell on wheels, dude. There, there was I think nothing. It still is, it, and it still is. And but like those two weeks, it was—I don't want to say impossible, but it was—it was the hardest time that I have ever had building projections for pitchers. And I really, really trust my model for for pitcher projections. And those two weeks you couldn't count on anything because not only did we not have the sticky substances anymore, which have been in use since like 1842 or something, but we have the difference of the ball, right? So like the grip is different and like the flight path is different. So we can't just take like none of the information from the last two years mattered at all. None no, of it. It ma- no, 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 no. It matters. I, I, I view those two weeks, James,
0: similar to like the whole BVP thing where it's real
1: we just we just don't know who it's real for it's like it's it's oh you, dude you, right it, it was brutal no i mean like it was we I, all knew taiwan walker was going to come back to the you know, that happened walker, yesterday we knew that marcus stroman was going to come back like the like we knew that garrett that garrett cole was going to fall apart a little bit right like we right. had those discussions of guys that like we we kind of knew were and then Cole adjusted called Cole's last adding he did great And I talked about that too recently in the Discord. It's like these like these are the top 0.01% guys in the world. They're gonna figure out how to how to fix this problem. They're not just gonna be terrible forever. But those two weeks, I I am not lying when I say that it felt like projecting pitchers, it didn't matter what sample you wanted to use. Sure, you were still gonna be able to do it with some confidence but I think that the edge that you gained from having a good pitcher projection model was lost during those two weeks. I think that it was that hard to project pitchers because no sample that you used could handle anything that was happening. I mean, like the baseline- well, there was, no, no, no. I, I, I still disagree with that. I think it's, it's a,
0: it was a matter of what's real and what's not. It comes down to, well, I mean, someone mentioned this like a week or two ago or something where, where uh, someone I don't know if they were trolling in the chat and and or maybe this was in the discord we're like Hi, we don't we don't we don't know what pitchers, are, you know uh, had bad, bad stuff happened in their personal life right you know <laughs> something bad happens early in the morning and they come out and they pitch like crap it's like well like how would we ever how would we ever know that right but if we did know that it would be real like it's one of those things where if we were able to know that we could. Account for it, but since we don't, so like, although we can mention the you know guys like Garrett Garrett Cole that have been you know vocally saying that he's he's used this stuff. Trevor Bauer, Uh, yeah, right, Trevor Bauer, but we don't know how if they're going to adjust. Can they adjust? Who's using it? Who's not using? There could be a pitcher that's an average pitcher, but he's only an average pitcher because he's using the sticky stuff, and now without it, you know, he become is Garrett Richards. Right. Right. Like, I mean, we, but how would we know that until seeing it? And then once you see it, how do you know that it's real? Cause I mean, what, what's the distinction sometimes between uh, a guy goes two innings, you know, Fulton Nevich the other day, just gave up like a million runs in like, like the first two innings or something we've seen him do that three years. We've seen him do that before. And then sometimes he'll have a seven inning, you know, 10 strikeout outing. So it's like, these, these these one time, oh, it's right after the sticky substance thing. They have a bad out, oh, he's on the stick. Look, we, we don't even know that. Right. It's probably it's probably a little bit more likely, but we don't even know that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily that, like, you can't use the past data. You still have to use, like, a baseline, how good of a picture they are just in general. Right. And just hope that, like, if you're gonna be 50% of the time, It's one of those, like I said before, with the game theory stuff, I didn't care because if I were to go through 20 pitchers on a slate and go, uh, since we don't know anything that's gonna happen, like, uh, well, 10 of these guys are gonna be bad and 10 of these guys are gonna be good, but I can't tell you which ones, then what's the point of me even wasting my
1: time even thinking about it? But that's my point here. That's why I say that like the samples were, were so hard to work with and you didn't know what sample was gonna be reliable and you didn't know what sample you were supposed to use. That's why I'm saying that it was so hard to protect, to project pictures those two weeks. And like after those two weeks, and, and I say two weeks specifically as a sample here, because like those two weeks were where, were where it was really, really hard was those direct two weeks. But after that, then I started getting the data that I needed in my models personally for a little bit more confidence to come back in pitchers, but those two weeks, that was that was really really hard because you could you couldn't look at basically anybody on a slate outside of Jacob Degrom and say I'm confident in this pitcher to match anywhere near this projection. Like studs were getting blown up, uh, bad guys were getting blown up, median guys were doing super duper well. And, like sure, we didn't have the the Wade Miley no hitters anymore which was hilarious earlier in the season. We're going to look back on that and just be like John means and Wade Miley and that, that, that was a fever dream. That didn't even exist. Um, we didn't, we don't have those anymore. So like, I think that after the sticky substance thing, and after all that happened, you could be a little bit more confident that guys weren't going to absolutely just crush if they shouldn't, but you also didn't really have any confidence for, for me, from my perspective, in content creation and projecting it was very very hard to have any confidence in guys being within their regular standard deviation right like it right, was just, to me all you had to do is just ratchet that up for the pitchers and and yeah that's that's basically what i what we all decided in the discord it was just like okay well if you can't fit a stud like whatever you know that they're not they're not studs right now we don't know that they're studs They until- could be but we don't know Right. Exactly. So, you know, just like BVP, I, I like that example of BVP because BVP certainly I think exists. I, I do think that it exists, but I don't care about it because I can't quantify it. I can't model it. So like I, I'm not I, I think that it is something that might have an effect, but because I have no idea what effect it has and I can't model it and I can't quantify it. I don't care about it. And that, I mean, that you could model it, it just that everything would
0: be overfitting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, every, like, literally every, cause none, no one has a sample size. That's enough to even prove anything. Right. Right.
1: So yeah, I, G-Man think-
0: Choi, right? Everyone, uh, G-Man Choi has Garrett Cole's number. That it's possible. Yeah. But it's also possible he goes the next 200 at bats and he, and he does horrible. I mean, it could just be just short-term variance. I mean, it does seem like he has his number.
1: Yeah. <laughs> The, and those are the things. Like maybe he does, you know. The I who is it? It's it's Miggy Cabrera against. uh I don't know. There's some older pitcher that like Miggy has just just this ridiculous BVP. And I do think that after like ten years of facing a pitcher, you probably know what he wants to do. Like, yeah, but
0: also, but the pitchers are. I mean, everyone's in ten years that. You're dealing with different people no I totally Ma- imagine, agree. imagine BBP with Madison Bumgarner. it's like Madison Bumgarner <laughs> in 2013 is so much it's not now so right. who cares what happened who cares what happened eight years ago dude right. but Mickey Mickey Cabrera and Madison But like you're dealing with the people that are Rich Hill I mean like what the what what are we doing it's like Rich Hill at 26 years old and Mickey Cabrera at 26 years is totally different well, I know. I totally agree. I, I, I'm just saying that I think
1: that- d- 15 years that ago, think- he
0: went three for six with two home runs. Oh, oh, got to play him now, 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it
1: is an interesting thought process, uh, especially for somebody like me who, who does have to build things out. And um, one thing that you were talking about earlier where uh, for the reason why I built my models is to get on things earlier and try to catch those trends earlier. Like there is a higher variance for me in doing that. And especially in my hitter projections, where like I'll have these guys that you you like see them projected for 13 fantasy points, and you're just like, Why? You know, and, and those things and, and then like most of the time later on in the slate, they're like oh for four and maybe have a walk. And it's just like, oh, well, why was he projected for 13? It's just like because like that's what the model thought that he might be able to do, and we wanted well, able- median outcome. That doesn't mean he's gonna get 13 but he's one percent owned so like oh yeah worth it go take a shot if those things when those things happen uh, Luis torrens made us a lot of money like because he was never owned and the model was just like hey this guy's this guy is going to home run every single slate and he, he had like four games straight where he was just like awesome and those kind of weird things that's that's why i build those models that way because i don't build models for cash games i build them for gbps So I I don't care about like the actual straight up median of nine fantasy points. Like, why I care about that. If this guy looks like he might be a home run hitter and it's a really short sample, I want to catch that before other people do. So I I, I thought that was an interesting thought of uh, I'm probably wrong. Like quite a bit. You're definitely wrong most of the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm wrong quite a bit, but when I'm right, I'm going to be able to make a lot more money for the people that are using those projections. So that, that is a trade-off. And I, it's an interesting trade-off that I didn't really think about until we talked about it today.
0: Right, well, I mean, it has to be a trade-off. You're dealing with small sample sizes. Yeah. And small sample sizes could, could say anything.
1: Yeah, literally any, like they could literally say, uh, I, Todd Frazier had like two at bats and he projected for 15 fancy points the next day. Right. And it's just like, Todd Frazier's like 90 and he's probably not going to do that but hey in those two at bats he looked really really good so let's see what happens and he was 0.5% owned and he sucked
0: so that there was that but uh, right, you know like right now in the bat projections uh the top point per dollar pitcher on draftkings is jake woodford <laughs> yeah because he's 4800 i'm a, i'm assuming he's 4800 and he has like an 80 pitch count and he's facing the cubs so his median is like 13 so yeah so he obviously but that's how, that's how the bat, like the way that Cardi projects pitchers with smaller sample sizes, I think he, he, he puts more of a weight on a percentage of the league average pitcher. So a yeah, lot of times yeah. these guys go come up from the minors with not much, not much stats behind them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He just you're like, oh, he's 80% league average. And like, he uses that as a baseline and just like, well, what, what is an 80% of a league average pitcher in the, in the Melville B would look like? And that that's his projection. That's that's right. mostly what I do too. Yeah. Right? Cause you, what are you gonna do? Take single A stats? What do you I mean? Yeah. Right, single A. He has a uh, 18, 18 games, uh the 68 innings pitched, and he has a he has a 42% strikeout rate. It's like really, how does that gonna trans single A? I mean, how is that gonna translate? Yes, he's probably a strikeout pitcher, yes. But he's he's not a 40, he's not gonna just walk up first game and start striking out 42%.
1: Right of the the teams that and that's something that usually when we have a rookie pitcher called up in my models they'll look terrible i mean they'll they'll project like trash and the the team that is facing them will usually project super duper well and the main reason for that is like (laughs) baseball's hard dude (laughs) like going up from the minors to the majors is really hard dude and even stud pitchers you know we've had stud pitchers in the last two years that have been called up and have just gotten annihilated i mean casey mize was supposed to come up and be like majors ready and he got crushed for three like three games four games he got beat up the next year like he's finally adjusted pretty well but yeah I agree with Cardi I actually so Cardi probably uses a league average baseline and then regresses based on um the opponent's stats and and like probably close to the same thing I do but I actually take it a step further and I regress so when I have a pitcher usually I'll use them as the baseline and then I'll regress the opposing team to them um, with rookie pitchers, I actually use the opposing team as a baseline. And then I regress that pitcher towards the opposing team.
0: Oh, so, so when you, when you say that you're, you're saying that you're going to, you're going to use the average that the pitching stats of the average of what, of all the combination of all the pitchers that the, like, for instance, if, if, uh, John, Jake Woodford, mm-hmm. I don't even know if he's a rookie. I'm just going to use him as an example. If he, sure. the Cardinals pitcher came up with no stats. You just take the the average of all the, what the Cubs face this year as the league average versus them and then use that as the baseline.
1: Yeah, so I'll use, I, I will take the Cubs and I'll say like, say that he, he's righty. So I'll take the Cubs and I'll take all the Cubs stats against right-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I'll use that as the baseline and then regress the opposing pitcher like Jake Woodford against them. So like typically for me, I think that, in every single sport, um, the, the person who is proactive will always have an advantage over the reactive side. So that's why I said that defenses don't matter in, in NFL too, because like in the, in the offense dictates the pace, the offense dictates, dictates the game, and the defense has to react to it. And in every single competitive sport, except for, I think there was one, I had this discussion on Twitter uh, a couple months ago. In nearly every single competitive sport, the person who is proactive will win given enough time against a reactive force because you're able to dictate the only options that they have. So with pitchers, pitchers are the proactive side. When they have a baseline, you take the hitters and then you are going to regress to them. So if if uh, Mike Trout has like a 400 batting average, but he's going up against somebody who is allowing a 100 average, you are going to regress against that 100 average. So like... Mike Trout stats are going to go down and that pitcher stats are only going to go slightly up. So Mike Trout's are going to go way down. Pitcher's going to go slightly up. But in a situation like this, where I don't know the pitcher, we're going to take, say, Mike Trout has a 400 batting average. I'm going to take that pitcher and I'm going to regress all the way up to that 400 batting average. So like in a situation where I have a baseline that I'm fine with knowing and that I'm fine with using, even if it's smaller, I will take the hitters and I'll regress towards that. So their stats close in on what they allow. Whereas when I don't have a sample with a rookie, I will take that rookie and I'll set up their stats to be closer to what the hitter is able to do. If that all makes sense. So like, that's, that's kind of like the barbell and the difference in the way that I look at using pitchers and projecting pitchers and hitters.
0: Right. But obviously rookie pitchers coming up, no matter what you try to project their standard deviation is going to be like oh, three times larger than anything else. I mean, so like to me, those are the types of pitchers where if they're chalky, you're standing oh, yeah. against them, and if the, no one's playing them, then you play them, right? Like, yeah. like I mean, I, I just try to get the concept right. I don't care necessarily if the if the projection, the median projection, is the most accurate. I enjoy those situations because I just I let it, I let ownership dictate what I'm gonna do, right? So like on today's slate, like if Caleb Smith, like Caleb Smith is probably the it's, on this slate today, he's 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 that high variance. Right, Ryan Yarbrough isn't, Darvish isn't, Greinke isn't, Kyle Gibson probably isn't even. But but Caleb Smith, Caleb, I oh, it's the Pirates. Oh, that's a, uh yeah, yeah, we've seen the Pirates. Look, the, the Pirates lit up Taiwan Walker. I think Tywan Walker is a better pitcher than Caleb Smith.
1: Brian right? Reynolds and Ka- Brian Hayes, man, like Pirates to
0: Arizona. So I mean, that's a little bit ball, ballpark upgrade. Yep. Yes, he Yes, he projects. Way well, he projects well right now, but. You know, this seems like a perfect time. Like if he ends up being 30 plus percent owned on DraftKings, probably won't be much owned on, on FanDuel. Uh, playing Pittsburgh stacks against him seems like a, seems like a game theory uh, optimal type of move. I mean, if you take, even take a look at the, at the ceiling stats uh, projections, like from a point per dollar, because ceiling point per dollar, the Pirates are the highest, second highest on the slate. And, and the Orioles, are, the, are the, I mean, they're low ceilings, but they're, they're so cheap. The Pirates and the Orioles are so cheap that if you wanted to play them, I mean, if Yarbrough is going to be owned and Smith is going to be owned, I mean, there's your, there's your large field uh, relative value plays. But at the end of the day, I mean, today's slate is going to be dictated primarily by that Mets-Reds game, I guess. Maybe the Red Sox. Maybe the Diamondbacks. I mean, they're cheap pieces on all these teams. It, doesn't it get a little bit frustrating James that like there's no such things that like there's almost no such thing as vomit stacks anymore because like even the good teams like half their team is priced up and half their team is priced at almost nothing it's hard to recognize. it's, not, it's I mean it's not like 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 oh wow the Blue Jays are too expensive well now if you play like like Biggio and Maguire in it and like then then you're fine like oh the Red Sox are always it's like the Red Sox dude they're gonna have like four guys that are under three k today so mm-hmm. I mean like like you could you could yeah you're not playing all five of the highest price guys but like it, it it sort of defeats the value of playing like I take a look at like what do the Pirates look like today they're probably extremely cheap right they're not that but I mean look like is still twenty three hundred Defoe's twenty three hundred Newman's twenty three hundred. Stallings is thirty five hundred. Brian Reynolds is thirty nine hundred. It's like they're free, right? But but then you put them together and so then then what do you do a pitcher and they're like, okay. They're then you play Darvish and Granky or something and you still have money, right? And then you st- I mean so it's like like what's the purpose of the vomit stacks anymore if they priced up some of these if they made it even enough. Right, it's just that all these teams you always have. Like the you, White Sox, Twin. I mean, why why are there two K guys on these teams? Why is Naquin twenty five hundred? Right, right. Why is Conforto thirty four hundred? Like, like they're the reason why a Mets and a Red Stacks are not a, are not that expensive. Because you yeah, have Votto's fifty one hundred, but once you pair them with Naquin at twenty five hundred, now Votto, it's it's similar as Votto being four K and Naquin being four K.
1: And farmer at twenty seven hundred at a priority position at shortstop, like right. You can make these stacks. It's not hard. It's, it's not, not hard. hard. I, I will say that uh, even with the the low pricing on on a lot of these guys, like even the Braves, look at that. They have you know Arsha and and Heredia and Kelvin Smith. Like all three of those guys can definitely be part of a stack with Peterson like,
0: still thirty three hundred.
1: It's silly. I, it's it's really really silly. Um, granted, they're against Udarivish, but still, like. I, I will say that it has kind of brought an interesting thought. I've said interesting a lot on this today. Uh, it it has brought forward a conversation about if correlation matters as much in building these stacks, which of course correlation matters, but if you are able to fit um like say that you wanted to do the Reds, we'll just use them as an example. And you use I Tyler don't care about the batting order anymore with these prices. What do I care? Right, that's what I'm saying. I'd like with with Tyler Naquin and Kyle Farmer and and Tucker Barnhart, like those three as part of a five man stack, which are all at different positions. I'd, who cares about batting order at this point? Because you just fit a, a red stack, and you can still afford the most expensive pitcher with the highest projection, and you can still pair it with another moderately expensive stack. So. Uh, d- does the batting order correlation matter as much when these... No, players- I, I, I've said that before. Like The, 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 the gaps
0: in the order, t- uh, marginal. I just care about the teams. Just give me, just give me. Of course, I the guys that are hop- t- higher in the order, obviously, are the better hitters. So they're going to be project better to begin with, right? From a raw points perspective. But in order to fit this in, like I take a look at this, this Reds lineup. It's like my stack would be something like Naquin, Suarez, India winker farmer or something like that and then they're like i could pair that up with the, the, the expensive red sox hitters and still have you darvish right and still have two two eight to nine k pitchers and darvish
1: is only 9.2 K.
0: I... yeah but he's coming off the il facing the braves the braves aren't i'd say facing the braves now they oh, don't have, have a
1: braves anymore they don't have the, they don't have a
0: yeah, but they still got Freeman. Like, just look at
1: Albie's. They they have. Uh, I I think that Dansby Swanson is a good hitter. I think that Ozzy Albies is a very good hitter. Uh outside of that, like even Freddie Freeman has some problems with splits and like. The bottom of the order is trash. The the bottom four hitters there. Even Jock Peterson is trash. There's he's three hitters trash. on the brakes. Jock he's Peterson's trash. No, he isn't. He, he's trash. He's not bad. Not <laughs> He's, based, he's, he's not been as trash bad. as Guillermo Heredia. No, but still, like if we're, if we're talking about like facing the Braves is like something, You're scared of Jock Peterson? I'm not. No, I'm not scared of him. But it, 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 they're it's not still a better. team. Would I? Would I rather? Would I rather uh, have Jock Peterson
0: or Brett Phillips? No, I'm taking Jock Peterson. Like he's not that trash. He, right. But but if we're Dude, talk- the Orioles are starting have Ramon Urias batting sixth
1: dude i mean like so don't tell about, me look look at the orioles lineup now they've, they've got Kelvin is not about the, the orioles Royals. we can talk about the orioles being trash later this is the braves without acuna being not a scary team no they're not a scary team but they're not they're not still not a bad team they're they're a team that i will happily use you darvish under 10k against yes okay yes i agree with that yes yeah that's that's my point here like and i, and I hope that other people look
0: at the braves and go how do i play a pitcher against the braves it's very similar earlier, like a month or so ago, when the Dodgers were all hurt and people still didn't play pitchers against them, even though like Bellinger was out and and yeah. Muncie was out and you Turner was out. It. I mean, like it's like who are you scared of, right? right? Scared of one Mookie Betts, right? Mookie Bright. You know when they, they were they were batting. You know Chris Taylor's batting cleanup. You know like. Like he's not bad or anything, but I, I'm gonna skip. Like it, saying Chris Taylor's batting cleanup is like Austin Riley batting cleanup. It's like yeah, he's a good yeah, yeah, he's a power hitter. But so, am I gonna? Oh, I I can't I can't play I can't play uh, Scherzer against the Braves because
1: of Austin Riley. It's like what? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. Right? It's not a discussion that you make. It, and and that's my point with this 9.2 K on Darvish and with all these cheap hitters, you can play whatever you want play whoever you want you can <laughs> you can play whoever you want and it kind of sucks man like you don't have to make there's so many slates where you don't have to make a hard choice
0: you don't you, know, you have to make hard choices between stacks but like you, you don't have to play garbage right you don't like do you have multiple it's not it's not like it's not like oh do i play taylor Na- tyler naquin or do i play garbage it's right. like no, do I play Tyler Naquin or six other options that are just like him, mm-hmm. that are still mm-hmm. like not as good but still not garbage. Last right? Year. It, it, it used to be it used to be a guy like T- Tyler Na- Naquin would be twenty five hundred. It's like, well, if you don't play him, I guess you're pl- I guess you're playing. Uh, I guess I guess you need to play uh, Kelvin Gutierrez at third base for two K, right? And Valera is a, like like that was the option. It's like either him or garbage. But now, like every 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 team has some, you know, why is this guy too cheap? Right.
1: Right. And, and last year, actually, DraftKings had made some adjustments to their pricing algorithm where it, like, actually made it so that cores was expensive. And then this year, they're like... They forget the first game. The first game, they just like that,
0: someone goes to sleep.
1: They're like, that wasn't fun last year. Let's just price the opposing team at 3500 as an average and let people go wild. It's like, come on, man. Like, make people make choices. It sucks. Yeah. Yet, no matter what, Tony Gonzalez's price will never come down. No. <laughs> the, the only team that I can think of this year that the pricing algorithm on, on DraftKings specifically, I mean, FanDuel, like you've always been able to just make whatever lineup you want. But on DraftKings specifically, the only team that I can think of this year that has actually given me problems is the Blue Jays. And that's it. Like, that's the only team where it's been difficult for me to actually build lineups with the pitchers that I want and like with a priority secondary stack. And when I say priority, secondary stack, I stack the tigers a lot and they're cheap a lot. And the blue Jays have still given me like some problems, but that's really been the only team. And when you have a team, like the Orioles, look at those prices on the Orioles, dude. The whole about half of the lineup is 2k. Uh, Austin Hayes is still 2,500. Ryan Yarbrough is not Max Scherzer. Why are they twenty five hundred? No, 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 See,
0: James, the, qu- the my problem is not why are they twenty five hundred. Why? Why is Anthony Santander two K, and Mancini is forty nine hundred? I don't know. And Mullins is forty one. Like I, I don't. it's like they should be closer. Like the pricing should be like it's one guy. It's like why is Conforto? Thirty-four hundred on a team that is now priced up against the Reds, but he's
1: not. It's it just it. It doesn't. It's so bad. It's so bad. The, so are the, are like, we
0: playing? Are we playing Orioles against the Arbor today? Of course. Yeah, but <laughs> the, like, see, the, here's the problem, James. Where here's do I problem. spend? Okay, so now I'm. I'm going to stack the Orioles five man wow. stack. I'm going to play Austin Hayes, Santander. Uh I can only play one of Mancini or Mountcastle. I play Severino to fill my catcher spot. I fe- play Ramon Urias to fill my shortstop spot. I now have a million dollars left over, and I can't spend it. So, like, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Gosman. I'm gonna play the two and you Darvish, and I'm gonna play. Vla- I'm I'm gonna find the, the 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 highest price guy. I'm still gonna have like fifteen hundred left over. I well, and the projection. Okay. If I go through the bad projections, it's most likely that's that's not even a good lineup because. Why would you leave 15? I, I could find lineups that don't have Orioles that project
1: for five to 10 points higher. <laughs> it depends on like that. That is one part of it, right? Like where do you spend? Well, that, is one,
0: that is the whole part of it.
1: Where do you spend? You your can't stack it, It's like, to me, the Orioles, if this was two years
0: ago, they'd be, they'd be my they'd vomit stack of the day.
1: Yeah. I, and I, and I and like but, points.
0: but, but then I go, okay, sure, vomit stack of the day. Let, let's see. I'm going to go into lineup HQ right now. If I stack, <laughs> like, I, I want to see this. Let's see. Number <laughs> of lineups. Give me, give me, give me 40. Give me 40. It's going to give you Kevin
1: Gossman with you, Darvish.
0: Let me, let me see if I could even spend like 49.5 and up. And, and let, let me go to stacks. You'll be, let, get, let me get a five. Let me get a, let me try it's a five expensive. three, right? If I want the five three, it with the the Baltimore 100 <laughs> percent like what do these
1: lineups look like it's it's gonna give you Blue Jays and it's gonna give you Udarvish and and uh Kevin Gossman it's gonna give you uh I don't I don't know Boston how I mean even with the, the positions like
0: first base is gonna be filled with Mancini or
1: give you the Dodgers. I, I mean, they, it, you can get 40 of them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's trying. It's <laughs> trying. okay.
0: Yeah, M- Machado, Tatis. Yeah. Right, Granky and Darvish. And no, but it's not, now it's, it's giving me Hayes, Mullins, Mancini, Vileka, and Severino. So not even, it can't even give me Santander, like, it can't even spend. Like, here's a Santander one. With Greinke, Darvish, Tatis, Machado, fam. Right, so it's all these Padres. His Muncy, Turner, Betts, There's daughters. Yep, that makes right. sense. Right, But Urias, Hayes, Mullins, Mancini, Severino. How many of these lineups are possible? I mean, like, like Trevor Rogers. I mean, they're all like one v ones. I mean, like, and you have to spend all of your money. Like, you're it's all of it, and
1: you're still leaving four hundred on the table. So Some of these of the reason why you do this, just for the people in the chat while we argue about this, is just because of the relative value that it gives you and the leverage that it gives you over the people who are using Ryan Yarbrough as the most owned pitcher on this slate. That's the reason why you do this, is because in large field GPPs, because we're playing baseball and because it's super event-oriented sport and there's a lot of randomness that happens, there's nothing that says because the Orioles are free They can't put up 10 runs. So if they put up 10 runs against a 38% owned pitcher, one, you have passed the 38% owned people, the 38% of lineups that have Ryan Yarbrough, because hopefully he gave up four of those runs. And then two, you have the Padres who are God uh, in your lineup because you can afford them. And you have high priced pitchers like, this is the reason why you do it. It's so you can pass large swaths of the field if things go right for you. Um, In in basketball, if you have a full lineup of like the cheapest dudes at 1% owned, you lost. Obviously you lost. And even in NFL where things are a little bit more linear, you probably lost. But in baseball, this is a viable strategy because of that vomit sack theory where when a team is so cheap, the, the price of this team doesn't have as high of a correlation with their successes in other sports. So if Ryan Yarbrough, who I, I don't know, he's an average pitcher is going to be one of the highest owned pitchers on the slate. That's why you have interest in doing something like this.
0: Yeah. But see, I, what I did now is I ran 20 lineups with Baltimore as the secondary right in a five, three,
1: which makes more sense.
0: Right. So that's why like looking at build two 90, the highest lineup with a five man, Orioles is 97.79, 87% total ownership. And this, you, you're basically jamming in Padres, right? Just Machado and Tatis, and they're the most expensive guys at third and shortstop, right? Because the the, the the Orioles don't even have a third base eligible player. Uh, and then shortstop sucks, right? Uh, let's see. And then you go to build three with just the three mans. Now you're getting 104.37. So that's significantly higher. We're talking about an, another seven points of median and the ownership is still only 103%. So like right. it's, it's still low owned enough. And now you're playing Granky Darvish five man Mets, and then three Urias Hayes Mullins. And we take a look at some of these, you see Mets basically the same thing like Mets, Mets. Here's a pot. He's a five man Padres here. Like take a look at this lineup. Instead of playing Tatis and Machado as the, as the three man, you're playing the five man Padres. You have uh. Severino, Mancini, and Santander. You have Smith and Darvish up there, and your projection is one hundred three point eight two at eighty three percent owned. So actually, this is a better lineup than the than the the Orioles stack.
1: I can just tell you Similar right more
0: ownership and, and six point higher projection.
1: I can just tell you right now that my lineups are gonna suck tonight, dude. <laughs> Why well, are you playing a lot of Orioles? Probably. I uh, so like th- what what I've been thinking as we've been doing this. Uh, is that I'm mostly going to have a lot of secondary stacks of Orioles and Pirates because they're free and they'll let me fit whatever I want, like for right. And attack. just in those lineups, you don't play like in your Orioles lineups,
0: you don't play Yarborough and the Pirates lineups, right? Smith, right? So, like, if I, don't I can
1: play those guys, just not in those lines, right? If I can attack a lot of the really high owned pitchers with secondary stacks, they're like, I'm not even kidding, free, like, <laughs> you're not even really paying for Ramon Urias, Austin Hayes. And Cedric Mullins, like you, you could feasibly take Cedric Mullins out of that lineup and put in Santander and have more money for right. nothing. And still, I'd still have the same projection. Right? I'll just and have Gosman, and, right. and like you, the you, problem you, is uh, that Gosman at 10K doesn't even project for more raw points than, than Darvish and Granky. Oh well, that's because that projection is wrong, and Gosman should project more than Granky. Granky is Granky should never have a projection over 15 fantasy points. Well, he's facing the the Indians today. It doesn't matter. Cranky, he's, a four and a half,
0: he's a four and a half strikeout. Person. Cranky
1: should never be projected over 15 fancy points. I will take the under on that 100% of the time. He's projected for 17.33 right now, and I will take the under on that. Gosman is projected for 14.01. I will take the over on that. He's facing the Dodgers.
0: Don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Paydirt analytics. Uh, yep. You can follow James on Twitter. Paydirt underscore DFS. Uh, Feel free to go to paydirtdfs.com for his uh, for his models and stuff, and all and as, as always, theoryofdfs.com. Go for the theory of daily fantasy sports. Me and James will teach you how to play DFS from a game theory perspective. Fifteen hours, twelve chapters. You can listen to it over and over again. It's evergreen content. It applies to any sport. So uh, go to theoryofdfs.com to pick it up. Uh, we got we got Grinders Live. Grinders Live coming up later today. I don't know who's on it, but uh, 5.30, whatever. Crunch time for premium members. Sign up for Roto-Grinders Premium by clicking on the link in the description, getting $10 off your first month. Uh, the FanDuel single-entry series has started. So uh, the Roto-Grinders sponsored whatever the single-entry stuff on on FanDuel, so
1: enter that.
0: The pay- I wish they did
1: it on DraftKings. but No, on FanDuel. I wish they did it on DraftKings.
0: Right, but uh, well, well, FanDuel, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I would, well, no, doubt the, the DraftKings, we got the one twenty-one. The single entry stuff on John DraftKings is pretty good. It is I good. I love the stuff on FanDuel, but that contest is good. Right. So sign up for that, and uh, we'll 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 see we'll see if the Orioles beat up on Yarborough or the Pirates beat up on Caleb Smith, or 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 the Braves just go nuts on New Darvish, and it doesn't matter that Acuna is not in the lineup because Austin Riley has three home runs. Jock right. Peterson, bro. Right, John Peter, yeah, John Peterson's going nuts, right? Right, he's going nuts. He's trash, but he will go nuts. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll take care of that. Look at it tomorrow, as I always do. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.